The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. Good morning, everyone. Um, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so welcome to the Sunday morning practice group. Um, so my name is Wynne Fricke. I'm I'm one of the co-founders of Common Ground, um, which got started back in 1993. So it's had a long, a long and graceful growth over these decades. And um, uh, I I practiced a bit in the Mahasi Sayadaw tradition with Upandita as our grandfather, and um, also in the Thai forest tradition. So. I'll just offer what I can today. Uh, Mark Nunberg is the guiding teacher here. Normally he teaches this, but he's on the East Coast at the Insight Meditation Society. He's uh, teaching for these uh, this next 10 days. So, so um, uh, in the Buddhist Studies um, program on Monday night, we've been studying uh, what's called the Anapanasati Sutta, which is the Buddha's basic instructions on uh, the meditation on the breath. And it's actually a 16-part a uh, sutta, 16 instructions in terms of guiding the meditator in ways of looking at the breath. And I was, I was feeling a little muddled with the information. I thought, I'll take that opportunity to just kind of dig into a little bit of it um, to maybe share with you um, because if you've, you've been coming to Common Ground for a while or other Buddhist meditation centers, chances are you've been studying some aspect or other of the Anapanasati Sutta. So it just might be nice to introduce it, um, at least the first part of it, a little bit methodically, because it is a kind of uh, central teaching um, which uh, can contain the whole of the Buddhist path from the first step to the 16th step. Um, yeah, and it's, it's seen as like a, a pyramid with um, the beginning instructions are more toward cultivating samadhi or cultivating balance, cultivating, cultivating a kind of power of mind which through the later steps allows a more penetrating insight and allows kind of a, a vertical um, ascension with that. So... That's how those uh, 16 steps are, are viewed. Um, and I was just thinking about the word respiration, and kind of, you know, why the breath? You know, like, why do, why do we do the breath and respiration? And, and it has just an interesting, you know, root, like uh, uh, spirit is part of the respiration, right? Spirit, like the animating force, the animating principle. It's also uh, in some ways described as the breathing of animals and also the wind. So it has these beautiful, these beautiful meanings. And respire, respiration, respires again. So again, spirit, again, spirit, again, spirit. And so it's, it's just, it's, it's lovely. Um, in actuality, I mean, the Buddha, the Buddha considered the breath a kind of perfect object because um, for most of us, it's a neutral object. It has vital- it's alive in the body, right? It's alive in the body. But it doesn't sort of, um, you know, we're not afraid of the breath. It doesn't inspire anger. It doesn't inspire fear necessarily. So it's a neutral object for the mind to gather around, right? So, so really we use the breath in the service of what we're cultivating in the mind. It's not like the breath is magical, right? So it's about studying the mind through the breath. 
How am I doing in terms of sound? Yeah? Okay, good, good. So um, um, the first, I'm just going to read the very first small paragraph of the sutta. The Buddha asks, now how is it mindfulness of in and out breathing developed and pursued so as to be of great fruit, of great benefit? And then he goes on, there is the case where a practitioner, having gone to the wilderness or to the shade of a tree or to an empty building, sits down, folding their legs crosswise, holding their body erect, and settling and setting mindfulness to the fore. Always mindful, he or she breathes in. Always mindful, he or she breathes out. So this, this very first part, which is like a prologue, you know, he's talking about the importance of seclusion, right? That we, we create a container that has safety, that has protection um, from the agitation of this wild world, right? We need to, we need to be intentional around that. Um, and so, you know, there, there's this whole beautiful history of monasteries in Asia which are designed for this purpose, you know, they're very simple, and there are many rules to kind of keep things very simple so that all the attention can be sort of turned inward toward our own mind, toward our own body, toward our own heart. So as lay people, I think it needs to be an active question, like how, how can we create these containers where we cannot be pushed around by what's going to push us around, that we can be devoted for at least this five minutes to our training, to our, to our aspiration. And if we don't know our aspiration, get clear about that too. What is our aspiration in this life? So finding these, these powerful containers, both physically and mentally. Um, and I'm just going to read, I'm just going to read this little overview written by Ajahn Sumedho from the Thai forest tradition, who's been an important teacher for me and for others in this community. Um, but this is, this is his commentary. It's very long, but I'm just going to read a little bit on the Anapanasati Sutta. Um, and he says, The sort of knowledge we gain from Buddhist meditation is humbling. Ajahn Chah calls it earthworm knowledge. It doesn't make you arrogant. It doesn't puff you up. It doesn't make you feel that you are anything or that you have attained anything. In worldly terms, this practice doesn't seem very important or necessary. Nobody is ever going to write a newspaper headline at 8 o'clock this evening, Venerable Sumedho had an inhalation. (laughs) To some people, thinking about how to solve the world's problems might seem very important how to help all the people in the third world, how to set the world right. Compared with these things, watching our breath seems insignificant. And most people think, why waste time doing that? People have confronted me about this, saying, what are you monks doing sitting there? What are you doing to help humanity? You're selfish. You expect people to give you food while you just sit there and watch your breath. You're running away from the real world. But what is the real world? Who is really running away and from what? What is there to face? We find that what people call the real world is the world they believe in, the world that they are committed to 
or the world that they know and are familiar with. But that world is a condition of mind. Meditation is actually confronting the real world, recognizing and acknowledging it as it really is, rather than believing in it or justifying it or trying to mentally annihilate it. Now, the real world operates on the same pattern of arising and passing as the breath. We're not theorizing about the nature of things, taking philosophical ideas from others and trying to rationalize with them. But by watching our breath, we're actually observing the way nature is. When we're watching the breath, we're actually observing nature. Through understanding the nature of the breath, we can understand the nature of conditioned phenomena. If we try to understand all conditioned phenomena in their infinite variety, quality, different time span, and so on, It would be too complex. Our minds wouldn't be able to handle it. We have to learn from simplicity. So with a tranquil mind, we become aware of the cyclical pattern. We see that all that arises passes away. That cycle is called samsara, the wheel of birth and death. We observe the samsaric cycle of the breath. We inhale and then we exhale. We can't have only inhalations or only exhalations. The one conditions the other. It would be absurd to think, I only want to inhale. I don't want to exhale. I'm giving up exhalation. My life will be just one constant inhalation. That would be ridiculous. If I said that to you, you'd think I was crazy. But that's what most people do. How foolish people are when they, only, when they want only to attach to excitement, pleasure, youth, beauty, and vigor. I only want beautiful things, and I'm not going to have anything to do with the ugly. I want pleasure and delight and creativity, but I don't want any boredom or depression. It's the same kind of madness as if you were to hear me saying, I can't stand inhalations. I'm not going to have them anymore. When we observe that attachment to beauty, when we observe that attachment to beauty, sensual pleasure will always lead to despair, then our attitude is one of non-attachment. That doesn't mean annihilation or any desire to destroy, but simply letting go, non-attachment. We don't seek perfection in any part of the cycle but we see that perfection lies in the whole cycle. It includes old age, sickness, and death. What arises in the uncreated reaches its peak and then returns to the uncreated, and that is perfection. As we start to see that, all sankharas, that's like formations of the mind, have this pattern of arising and passing away, we begin to go inwards toward the unconditioned, the peace of mind, its silence. So, you know, you're you're probably like me in that, you know, kind of facing uh, facing the day. (laughs) There's a lot of uh, resistance sometimes to settling in and kind of actually believing in, you know, that there's um, good reason to quiet the mind and to sit and to ground, right? I'm, I'm going to go 
to school and I'm teaching and I'm not ready and you know just the, the the pouring of anxiety that you know maybe all of us wake up with I don't know I wake up with it um, so it's like it's like being creative um, like I find for myself I can go on retreat and the mind is secluded and very powerful but during my work day going to McAllister Utah the mind is really dispersed and there's a lot of anxiety. And so it's like instead of sitting in the morning where I'm, I'm, I feel still pushed around, I will walk to work because I feel like I can connect with my footsteps, right? I can just feel, and there's just something in the activity of moving that some of that anxious energy can dissipate. So we can study ourselves, like what works for us, how, how we ourselves can kind of find our centeredness, our ridge pole, where the mind will be willing to settle, kind of not, sort of not, um, not willing to cave in to our irritations and, and, and anxieties. There's something in that, like we, we cave. <laughs> We're so frightened, you know, that there's that thing that happens. And so it's like we really have to, we have to be smart in how we work with, with these forces in the mind. You know, and as wisdom grows, we get better at that, you know, because wisdom tells us sit. You know, we, we don't have to argue anymore. And that grows in the mind. But we're all on this path, right? And so we have to be really asking those questions, really investigating, you know, the places where we feel pressures and how to work with them. This reminded me of maybe some of you saw the Sherlock Holmes, this most recent British series. There was one that was called His Last Vow with Augustus Magnuson. He's this media mogul. And this, but anyway, he's, he's sort of the arch enemy in this one. And his power is like being able to t- detect in people their, um, their particular pressure points, what he calls their pressure point. The, the way, the thing which is going to make them cave, that they're so afraid of, the thing that's going to knock them off their center and that he can have power over them. I think, oh, that's how it is. Like when I sit down, oh, that was a pressure point. I just kind of went out. Like that was a, a place for me. So that, that's like a useful metaphor, just to kind of feel and recognize the pressures that are operating, kind of acknowledging them. <clears throat> and in terms of like the training and the trajectory of the practice, uh, Joseph Goldstein has this wonderful metaphor where he, he talks about like a, if you have a bowl you put the bowl upside down and put a pearl on the top, it's like, um, you know, someone, you know, giving you the finger on a road is going to, you know, that will push it, and then the the pearl will easily fall off, right? Or getting a a diagnosis that we don't want to hear pushes it, and the pearl rolls off. But with practice, it's like that bowl becomes inverted, and you put the pearl in the base, Something pushes it, it will roll, but it comes back right away, right? So that's the nature of the training, that we move from being like a leaf in the wind to having that ridge pull. We get knocked off, but we know where our center is. We know that North Star. So the first, the first four instructions in the, the mindfulness of breathing instructions, um, they're all about bringing attention to the breath and the body, to grounding the attention in the breath and the body and stabilizing the mind. So I, I like the term gathering the mind. It's so, it's so visceral because we can just feel when we're dispersed energetically 
a, a sense of gathering and stabilizing the mind. And the body is, is a natural place, right? The, the thoughts are quick, and they're slippery, and they seduce us. So we could, thoughts are an object of mind, but, but we need to have a, a basic stability before we can venture into actually attending to the thoughts in a way that will be um, useful. Um, so that's why we begin with the body. And all of these 16 steps are breathing in, I experience. Breathing out, I experience. So the breath is part the whole way. The breath is included the whole way in each of the 16 steps. So the first one, oh, and I, and I just want to say too what, you know, mindfulness. Um, you know, I think mindfulness even is like a mystery. Like, what are, what are we talking about when we say mindfulness? And, and I think it's like developing a, a taste and a sense of, of what mindfulness is also. But one thing that's helpful for me is, is really this metaphor of, of space or of a field that is, um, it's, it's not shakable. It can hold the difficulty. It can hold the activity of the mind. So, that, so the mind can be bored. The mind can be agitated. The mind can be enraged. But there's a space that holds it that can be aware of it. So being aware of the rage is not the same as being in the rage. So it's like this really subtle thing. And Ajahn Sumedho has this image of like the space in the room. The space is the space. And if I were to fling a brush of heavy paint, you know, into the room, it would land, but it would not disturb the space, right? The space is untouched by that flinging of the paint. So... We can think of the part of the mind as an investigation that is untouched by whatever is moving through. So bringing mindfulness to the fore, the first prologue context in our space of seclusion. And then the first instruction is just what we did as we were sitting. Breathing in long, one knows I am breathing in long. Breathing in short, one knows I am breathing in short. Those are actually the first two instructions, so one whole instruction from each. So, so the guidance here is to know the character of each breath, of each inhalation, of each exhalation, of the space at the top of the inhalation, the space at the bottom of the exhalation, like just to get really close. So what happens with mindfulness of the breath, I think, with all of us, is that we can, we can fall into a rhythm, into an easy pattern, that we just kind of get a little bit in a trance, a little bit softly hypnotized. And it's neither interesting or it's just kind of there. Um, so, so when he's saying when the breath is long, we know the breath is long, so it's each breath. So because we, just in a really unconscious way, we assume, oh, I've seen it done. The mind's not interested, right? It's like, and this is very natural. So it's a kind of penetrating focus that looks more deeply and looks more clearly. There's a sustaining quality. And the, and the mind can become like a microscope with that training, with that sustaining kind of attention. And also, what 
what kind of gives this momentum is we begin to feel the refuge of the mind moving with the breath because we're secluded from what normally agitates us. And when we feel that, that, is, um, that can be motivating because we really get how wholesome it is. And, and it's a real refuge. It's a real respite that we're nourished and then we can go back to our lives and be clearer and more nourished for that. And, and um, yeah, um, and I just want to say briefly, too, just as a pointing out, um, there's a teaching that was so useful to me that um, is, is about what the Buddha ta- talked about in his way, uh, the four elements uh, of materiality. And this is a conceptual framework, but it's like earth, air, water, uh, earth, wind, water, and... <laughs> Thank you. So, so is, they're just conceptual categories, but under each of the categories, he lined up like all these uh, ways of observing material, materiality. Like fire, for instance, you know, is temperature. So, with just the breath, you can notice there's gradations of temperature. The temperature of the in-breath is different than the temperature of the out-breath. The temperature of one nostril will be different than the... You know, so like, so that's just fire, right? There's a, a whole category under fire. You know, under water, there's, there's this sense of co- cohesiveness, of flow, um, of heavy wetness, like the organs. That's all, all under the category of water. Under the category of earth is like hardness, like when you feel the teeth touching or softness, the... <coughs> the sense of the tips of the fingers or the lips. Um, so these are, these are really wonderful things to study because then when you're watching the breath, it's like, oh, you know, you can look at the temperature, you can look at the pressure, you can look at the liquidity, you can look at the flow. And it becomes very detailed and very interesting. So just if, if you have a moment, those are, are really, it's just wonderful to kind of track all these descriptive words about what goes on in sort of this wilderness of the body and the wilderness of the breath. Um, and then the next step is uh, one trains oneself breathing in, I will experience the whole body. One trains oneself breathing out, I will experience the whole whole body. So we move from the body of the breath to the whole body. And there's a knowing. The breath happens in a context. It happens in the context of our physical body. And different traditions treat this instruction differently. Like if you've studied with S.N. Goenka, he does this body scan. So like breathing in, breathing out, you know, you're aware of the breath, but all the while you're doing this body scan, a scan that's like the size of a thumbnail that you trace with intricate detail (laughs) all down the body. So it's really methodical, a methodical way to get to know the body. Other ways are just more organic. You know, some traditions, like I breathe feeling the arm, I breathe feeling the arm, or, you know, just organically moving from part to part. And sometimes it's just nice to sort of feel the field of of the energy of the body. You know, it's just like the, the, the body and the breath are held in the same field of just a vibration of aliveness, vitality, presence. So, so the point is not to get tight about it, about which instruction, which way to go, but just know there's a body here. How do we feel the body as we're breathing in 
and as we're breathing out. So that's the third instruction. So first instruction, breathing in long, one nose, I am breathing in long. Breathing out long, one nose, I am breathing out long. Second instruction, breathing in short, one nose, I am breathing in short. Breathing out short, one nose, I'm breathing out short. Third, one trains oneself, breathing in, I will experience the whole body. One trains oneself, breathing out, I will experience the whole body. And then the fourth instruction is, one trains oneself breathing in, I calm the body, or I calm the bodily formations. One trains oneself breathing out, I calm the bodily formations. So it's, it's really important and significant that step three happens before step four. So step three is about intimacy. We know the body. We're not, we're not trying to calm. We're not trying to do anything. We're just knowing, just as it is. So there's a, a profoundly accepting, interested intimacy in the experience of the body. And then once we're there, we can invite the body to be calm. So breathing in, I calm the bodily formations. Breathing out, I calm the bodily formations. So sometimes, you know, if you just go directly to kind of, I don't like this tension, calm, I want to calm, you know, the body won't, the body and the mind won't cooperate with that. And I think that's true with a lot of things. We, we need to be intimate with our anger. We can't just say shut up, right? We need intimacy. We need to understand. We're there first before we can have any kind of effective interve- intervention or I, I learned this really well. I'm, I'm, I come from dance. I'm a professional dancer and choreographer. And it was so interesting, like, in, in the study of tension and release and um, intimacy of the body. And I, uh, you know, I, I do modern dance, so we do a lot of, like, falling through space, right? And I, there was one day where I was, I was doing these sort of lunge falls where you... You know, you do a lunge, and then the whole weight of the torso and the head go over, and then you swing up, and you land on vertical, and then you do it to the side, whole weight of the body, you swing up. And it's, it's like you really, you're falling through space, and the weight of the head is part of it. And, um, and then one day, you know, I just noticed, I was holding the breath, that there was just, there was just some contraction uh, in the breath that was really inhibiting um, this particular movement. And it was like... And I had done this movement 100,000 times, and then one time, you know, intimate with the movement, one time I saw there's holding, the subtle holding in the breath. And then I could invite it to let go. And then it's like, and it changed. It was so interesting. Just that release, that simple release of tension invited more intimacy. You know, it's like when we relax, when we relax, we feel more, don't we? It's like, I think that's why we tighten. It's, It's kind of, it's hard to feel sometimes, and it's like a, a fake way of not feeling. You know, we, we tighten. Um, but, but just that invitation to relax, the body could organize. It could, it could exert its own intelligence with that relaxation. It was a really interesting and specific example for me um, of this principle. <clears throat>
Wow. Well, I only got through four. I had eight, and it's 11.32. So um, maybe, maybe we could stop and just see if there's questions or things that have come up, you know. Um, yeah, and then we've got a microphone, so let's... Is it on? Okay. I just wanted to say um, Nancy Bowler has a deep relaxation class tonight at 4, well, this afternoon. And just going through all that you're mentioning, if you really want to tap into that today, it's at 4. And she really walks you through that whole breathing and scanning your body when you did this. It's like, yeah, that's what Nancy does. She has you scan your body. And in this space... There's just a lot of relaxing and calming that happens. So, anyway. Thank you. Um, So you mentioned um, calming the body or the bodily formations or formation. Could you explain more about bodily formation? Um, I think that the the formations give it a little bit of an active quality, like the body feels more like a noun, formations feel like, um, yeah, they, they point to the verb of the body. Uh, that, that's my interpretation, but I'm, I'm not sure. So it's been translated in both ways, so it's, it's really a translation. Just picking up on that, for me, what, what the difference was there was that it um, depersonalized it. When I think about the body, it's like, oh, this is this body that I've had all this trouble with all these years. And when it's the bodily formation, it's just like, it's just nature, the formation being known. So. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Jeff. That was, that was well said. And, and, you know, these first four in, in, instructions are, are geared towards samadhi, but insight also happens in these four, first four instructions. You know, the, the, you know, like when we're in the body in that really deep way, it's like, where is the self? Really, like you, you can kind of ask that question <laughs> uh, and, and investigate the answer, like in detail. Like, where is the self? Um, yeah, thank you. One thing I really like about um, this particular sutta is because, I mean, I'm actually just responding to what you just said, because when you, some kind of way, the ordering of the words, it brings me a deep level of calm. And there's a way in which whatever I might kind of imagine to be a self is kind of unstuck to the body. So we might think of it as relaxation, but there's a way in which I become aware that like I'm not like f- whatever the spirit is doesn't have to cling so tightly to this body. So that's one. I don't know why those instructions are just so powerful, but I don't know. But it's just my experience. And so I thought you did a great job in walking us through it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. We, we ungrasp naturally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the issues that I have, I guess, is whenever I notice the breath, I really want to control it. Do you have any recommendations for noticing it without controlling or judging it? Um, I think that's really natural, and I, I think it's okay, just to, but just to kind of know that, that, that that's happening. Um, I think it's not unusual at all. Sometimes, like, the word listening is helpful for me, just, just like 
like how effortless listening is. It's just sort of sound meets the ear. It's just like no exertion. So I, I have that attitude like listening to the breath or listening to the sensations of the body really helps place me in that receptive, more receptive place. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. This is really, really helpful. Um, I wondered if um, that um, text that you have from Ajahn Sumedho, is that available anywhere for us to read the full thing? Because that was really, I really appreciated the way that he broke that down. And I felt like in a very um, accessible way to at least in Western framework, like it yeah. just was really helpful. So I would love to be able to read the whole thing. Yeah. It's, it's, if you just Google Ajahn Sumedho Anapanasati, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and it's online. I I think on the Common Ground Common Ground website. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, first, thank you very much for the teaching, Win. It was lovely. Um, I really appreciate you. Giving attention to the importance of step three coming before step four, like intimacy coming before relaxation. Um, oftentimes, I notice that when relaxation comes uh, before intimacy, or relaxation is the only point of my, my practice in that moment, nothing wrong with that. It's good. Sometimes I just need that, you know, because life is crazy. But when I do have a little more stability on a day or in a practice session, I find that having like being really clear to get intimate first and then move to relaxation allows me to allows for greater investigation as to like what's causing the the chaos in the body and in the mind. And what I find is when I don't do it in that way and I'm just relaxing again, great respite, very important. But I don't get insight into like what's going on, like what's the the the, the script that's running this story, and so the the benefits to my life, or you know, or some, sometimes can be rather short lived to that session or a few hours after that. But when I do investigate much deeper, then the benefits to my life often come with greater insight. Like, oh, this pattern is playing out and this is why I I keep creating this situation and from there like that insight allows me to make a certain change in the way I'm thinking or moving through life and uh, yeah I just find that that is the benefits can be not always but can be more longer lasting and so anchoring that in my experience of the body uh, yeah I just really appreciate it yeah thank you Femi that was that was really well said and I and I'm, I'm you know it can be an instruction when we're paying attention to the mental, the mental life, which of course is, you know, our, our afflictions are, are rolled up in that. Like, you know, um, you were talking about anger, and for me, just doing a lot of work around fear. Um, and the, the, the part that I don't think needs to be investigated is like, why am I so afraid? Like, there's something about that that we can go down the rabbit hole. Like, why was I, why was I born so afraid in this world? You know, or whatever. <laughs> and it's like, so, but, but to, to know, like, fear as it is. You know what I mean? And as it is, is partly the story in the mind. So it's like, yeah, so, uh, and, and for me, it is like a radical accepting so it's like knowing and accepting so it's not just knowing it's like this is here 
And I wasn't really able to, you know, I hated my fear so much, you know, and it was like trying everything. But it wasn't until there was a movement of interest and acceptance that I felt the ground shift, like real interest. What is this terror in the body? What, what, what's the story in the mind? What is this unpleasantness? And really just like this wide open compassionate movement to allow it to be there. Like, let me see what the heck is going on, you know. And then, you know, a lot of time living in that space again and again and again, opening, opening, opening. Uh, and, and again, it's a movement of the heart. That I don't think it can be done out of, out of hatred, you know. It's like that will, that will just get you so far. But there's a movement of compassion uh, around what afflicts us, around what makes us suffer, where can, we can really um, begin to soften. Thank you, Femi. Yeah. I got the mic. Okay. <laughs> I'm hi. I'm Becca. Um, I really loved the move. How you're bringing it this morning, the movement with that really resonates with how I live in my body and how I am in the world. Really moving the teachings out from this ideas and you know how it can tend to just be here. Like there's all this uh, movement which I was loving. Um, and my my kind of my question or. A sticking point is, and when you talked about the bowl, I I feel like I flipped the bowl over, but there's like 27 pearls in there, and it's like this gangbuster show of like trying to get things. So my weekly experience is that I have these moments during my very chaotic day where I'm just like that ridge pull, like there's this, just this hint, and it's this thirst to like spend more time there, but then it's gone, like... So I was really appreciating what you were saying. And just kind of my question is, maybe you could give me some insight here about how how can I use my body differently? Like I, I find, you know, I'm in a professional space. So, you know, it's I feel there's some limitations. But I'm curious, like from your own practice with that chaos, how do you kind of, how could I use my body or what's a way or some things that you might have been trying that, kind of bring that ridge pull back or just a touch point a little bit more frequently during the day that's happening here as opposed to just in my mind because I can stop and I can breathe. I can sense my feet and then I'm back at it, yeah. you know, and, and yeah. I just, just something different. Yeah. Well, sometimes like for me, like fear, for instance, manifests here a lot like right here in the diaphragm, right, in the solar plexus. So it's like instead of like um, using the body as just uh, like, like you can be investigating what's, what's knocking you off. Like is it irritation? Is it wh- what, are the, what are the things? Because if it's irritation or anxiety, like that will have a specific location. So with fear, for me, it's like boom. I, I just train, you know, because it's so alive and it just anchors me. And it's like, as Jeff was saying, it's like this, it's this movement of nature. And so I can, I can just come into my body as an expression of fear. So it's not like I'm avoiding the fear and coming to my feet, you know. So there's something about 
tying the actual suffering, you know, uh, into the body and how the body is, is suffering too, like that contraction in the body. So I think, you know, I think um, like a friend was saying, you know, she was, she was just noticing like, she just notices the corners of her mouth, like just gather tension when she's in particular thing. So that has become her anchor, like the corners of her mouth kind of let her know, you know, whatever. So, so that maybe there's something that is calling to you, like a place that wants to be known in relationship to the kind of suffering that, that you're feeling, the kind of things that, that knock you off. Yeah. Okay, it's 11.45. Let's just take a moment in silence. Thanks for coming out, everyone. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit Dharma Seed dot org slash donate.